So as I begin tonight, uh, this afternoon, I did some things that I really don't like doing. And I didn't know if I might be able to get some helpers in here tonight. Uh, anybody in here enjoy weeding your landscape or garden? Anybody enjoy doing that? Because I might be able to hire you if you enjoy it. Um, I spent a, several hours this afternoon just weeding, doing something that I really didn't want to do. And I think that there's a lot to, when we think about revival, sometimes there's a lot of weeding that needs to be done. And in my case, some of the bushes that had been ripped out had been in my landscaping for about 30 years. And I found all kinds of roots down deep. I didn't really want to deal with those things. But I tell you now that I spent a couple hours digging with a pick and digging with a shovel, things are cleaner and things are better. And I think the same way God wants us to As it says in Psalm 139, to search me and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. The Lord wants to weed out a lot of things that are in our hearts. As my boys went out to our little garden, we have a little bitty garden in the backyard. I don't have a big garden. Some of you have a big garden and you plant things and you just let it grow as long as it's going to grow. And uh, I'm kind of like Mr. Miyagi with my little pruning snips. And I go out to my little bitty garden and this afternoon... Uh, my boys went out to the garden. It's been struggling because I, I put it in late. And my boys said, hey, hey, dad, there's, uh, there's jalapenos and there's tomatoes and there's other things that are, that are growing. There's a little, little bit of eggplant and a, and a zucchini and different things. And I said, actually, because I was out here yesterday pruning away some of the dead leaves and I put some water on it and God is bringing the increase. So I just share that to say that when we allow God to weed And when we allow God to prune in our lives, He will bring about greater fruitfulness in every single one of us. And I pray that as we begin this series of meetings over the next next week and a half, that God would allow us to draw near to Him and that we might bear even greater fruit, having been changed by His presence. If you have your Bible this, this tonight, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Malachi chapter 1. Tonight I want to spend some time investigating what was the condition of the hearts of the people in the close of the Old Testament. And I will venture to say that as we look at some of these things in the book of Malachi, we'll see that the condition of the hearts of the people in the days of Malachi were in some ways like the condition of the people of God today. Because many of them, as we open up this book, some of them were questioning whether it was a waste of time to serve God or not. It was a time of spiritual decline. Spiritual leadership was in decline. And some of them were wondering that, should we just allow our light to flicker or should we be on fire for God? And so there was a lot going on in these days. The priests were even allowing, they were even allowing people to bring in sacrifices that were less 
than the best. And so it was like priests, like people. And so there wasn't fire uh, from the leaders. And so just everybody else just kind of did what they wanted to do. But God began to speak to the people who were in that bad condition. And uh, it's, it's remarkable what he has to say. And so tonight as we begin, my, my thought, the desire on my heart, and, and the thing the Lord laid on me is, is this, true revival. True revival. True revival will spring up from a, re, from a renewed faith that issues out new desires. It'll be something that God renews our faith and we have new desires to seek Him and to serve Him. And as I look here in the book of Malachi, the Lord gave me five things that I want to bring to your attention tonight about true revival. The first thing that I want to share with you is this. True revival will occur when we return to the covenant love of God. True revival will return when we, uh, when we return to the covenant love of God. Of God. Secondly, true revival will occur when we are sobered by the great and terrible day of the Lord. Malachi speaks of that day. He goes on to say in chapter 4, uh, true revival will occur when we live in light of Christ's victory. There is victory that is awaiting the people of God. And while we are burdened for the loss, we also rejoice in the victory that is already ours. And so that is just going to unfold even greater in the days to come. True revival will occur when we remember the law of Moses. When we look into God's holy word and we see ourselves for who we are and we see our great need of a savior and therein we rejoice that we have no righteousness of our own and we need the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And that is what the law will point us to. And finally, true revival will occur when we return to right relationships. And so let's begin reading in verse 1 of Malachi chapter 1, and then we'll jump to chapter 4. It says, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet you say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob. Turn with me to chapter 4. He says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings." And you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers 
to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. These are the words of the Lord. These are a group of people here in the Old Testament days that God had seen them through so many things. God had carried them and watched over them, but their lives were in a pitiful mess, so to say. Uh, there, there wasn't a high view of God in this day. There wasn't a desire to bring about the right kind of sacrifices that really represented the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the whole sacrificial system was, was put into place that when you sinned, you would bring about the perfect, without blemish type of sacrifice because it was pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, the very one that was going to die on the cross. But we see here their level of commitment was really, really low. They didn't think it really mattered. They were even, as I said earlier, as you read through the rest of this book, some of them were saying they began to look at the wicked and the proud and begin to say in their hearts, maybe we should just live like them. I'm afraid there's some in the church today that are similar to that. They're seeing the people in the world and the way they live, and they're being enticed more by the things of the world than what's going on in the house of the living God. And so we see that happening all around us. And so their lives, in a sense, were a mess. Because I tell you, if, if you're not centered on the Lord and living a life pleasing unto the Lord, everything will unravel. And, and if you read on into this chapter, you'll find out that their marriages were unraveling. Their finances were unraveling. There was so much. Their families were unraveling. Everything was just, it seemed like it was falling apart. Anybody in here felt like that before? And I'm so astonished that as these people were not meeting God's expectations, these people were in a pitiful condition. How do you treat people that do not meet your expectations? How do you love people who you know know better but they're not living up to it. How do you love people who have a half-hearted commitment toward you and the things of God? How do you love people who doubt whether you even care about them at all? I'm talking about, we're, we're we're getting heavy in here. Because... Oftentimes, our love is conditional. We love others based on the level of commitment that other people show us and how much they show that they care and how much they live up to our expectations. But these people were wasting God's money and they had drifted far away from God. And here's what I want you to know that the Lord says. It's what your pastor just said a minute ago. This is what should melt every one of our hearts. The people of God in these days were doubting, God, do you even love us? Do you even care? And as God gives the burden to Malachi, 
the burden of the word of the Lord comes from Malachi to a people that are messy and not living up to expectations and bringing their leftovers to God and all of this before he even gets to that point. He says, I have loved you. I hope you're as astonished as I am. Because often when people don't treat me the right way, my knee-jerk internal reaction, my, I'm getting better at my external reactions with my words and my actions, but my internal reactions are still struggling from time to time when people are not living up to my expectations and people are just, they're half-hearted committed and they don't act like they care and things like that. I'll tell you, on the inside of me, there's beginning to be resentment that rises up sometimes and anger begins to rise up and all this other stuff. But it says here, right here, God says the first word that He gives to these people who are in need of revival is... I know where you're at, but I love you, and I have loved you, and my love has remained loyal and faithful and steadfast. How long? Even when I chose you out. I didn't choose you out of all the nations of the earth, in this case right here, in the book of Deuteronomy, because you were more in number than any of the others. He said, I loved you because I loved you. I chose to lavish my love on you. And that is mesmerizing to think about all the people that God could allow his love to reach down to us. And if you've been saved by God's grace tonight, his love, why did he save you? It wasn't because of any goodness in yourself. It wasn't because of any righteousness in yourself. It wasn't because you were born in Southern Kentucky. It was because God chose out of his sovereignty, out of his grace, out of his love to lavish it on you. And if you come in here tonight and your life is a mess or you're like, I'm not where I need to be, I want you to hear a true revival will ensue when we return to the covenant love of God. When we see His love that is vibrant, that has always been vibrant. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 16 that God is love. It is a mesmerizing love, an amazing love, a loyal love, a faithful love, even when we are faithless. And it's the kind of love that melts your heart that is cold. It's the kind of love that doesn't push you away when you're distant. It's the kind of love that actually draws you into the Lord because He is just that good. He's not going to shame you and push you away. He's saying, I have done what it takes to draw you near to me. You just need to get some things right. And what a beautiful picture that is. And so this is what he's telling the people in Malachi's day. Jesus said something very similar, did he not? To the church at Ephesus. They had the right doctrines and things of that nature. But he says, come back to your first love. Your first love. Malachi says that. Jesus says that to the church in the book of Revelation. We see this, that's what draws you back. The Lord speaks and allows you to see where you are, but He's, His love is reaching out to you and drawing you. And tonight, if God is working on your heart as a lost individual, is it not what John 3.16 says? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life.
And so as we see this unraveling and we consider God's covenant love, it is an unmerited love and kindness extended to his people because of his own goodness. As God demonstrated who he was in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6, God began, Moses said to the Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And I want you to hear how God himself describes himself to Moses. It says over in Exodus 34 and 6, it says these words. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and fourth generation. One of the first things that God says about himself, the way he describes himself is that he is a merciful God, a gracious God. He is patient, slow to anger, and he's abundant in goodness and truth or faithfulness. But he's also a just God. He'll hold us all accountable. He's going to hold them accountable in the days of Malachi. He goes on to think about, as we think about this kind of love, this, this covenant love, it is a type of love. As you think about David and Jonathan over in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 9, I believe it was. Here's, here, you see tonight, if you've been saved, we're only saved because we've been brought in to the arrangement that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit made before time began and the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to perform uh, in perfect righteousness the law of God so that you and I could be brought into something that God initiated. I want you to see that. That's the kind of covenant love that I'm talking about. In the days of David, he said, is there anybody I can bless or show kindness or mercy to for Jonathan's sake. They had made a covenant one with another and David and Jonathan loved one another and and the Lord, David searched out someone that he could lavish his mercy and his grace and his kindness on, his covenant love on. And Mephibosheth was lame in his feet, but yet he was brought to the king's table. And I I bet he wondered, why is such a dead dog like me? Why am I at this table? But it was all because of covenant love. Thank God that he always has been faithful and always will be faithful. Even though the condition of our hearts, the condition of our homes, the condition of our churches sometimes gets a lot of weeds in them, God's love remains steadfast. He says in chapter 3, verse 6, I am the Lord and I change not. I'm so grateful for this book of Malachi to remind me that when my life is not where it needs to be, that God's first word toward me is, hey, 
I have loved you, and I still love you. And with that love, it often just melts my heart and draws me back right where I need to be. As we look in chapter 4, we find that true revival will ensue when we return to the covenant love of God. When we realize who He is and what He has done, and we're drawn near by His own love, by His strong cords that, that pull us back. But we also, true revival ensue when we are sobered. We are sobered, as He opens up in chapter 4, by the day of the Lord. I wish you could have heard the message uh, last night at West End, because uh, Brother Brad did a great job uh, discussing what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. But listen to what Malachi has to say. For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch." The same God who says that, hey, I love you, also is a God of justice, a God of righteousness, a God who will and must punish sin. There were many in Israel in these days and surrounding nations. The the Lord even said that my name shall be made great among all the nations. He's going to have himself a people somewhere in some place. He always has and He always will. There will be those that are offering up a pure offering unto Him because their hearts, even though though things were messed up here, there were still people that were bringing their best sacrifice to the Lord, to 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 the temple and saying, Lord, You're worthy of my praise. You're worthy. It doesn't matter the condition of the people at large. It doesn't even matter the condition of the people in the church. It does matter, but it doesn't matter based on how I'm going to choose to worship You because, Lord, I have seen how good you are and I've tasted and seen that you're good and I am going to live a life worthy of your glory and of your presence uh, regardless of what anybody else is going to do and the Lord had some faithful uh, a faithful remnant that were were right there and he said these are my treasured possession or my jewels that I'm going to to raise up one of these days He, he saw them he saw their faithfulness but as he opens up here in the chapter four and these are the last I want you to see this. This These are the last words before the coming of the forerunner of the Son of God. These are the last words the Lord issued in preparation for the opening up of the unfolding of salvation history that the Son of God would be ushered into the world. And so the Lord is reminding them of some sobering truth. And one of those is this. The day of the Lord is coming. The day that is out there on the horizon. He says, for behold, the day comes. It is already on God's calendar. It's already there. As I took notes last night of the message of Brother Brad preached, it's going to be a normal day. I don't want to re-preach his message. He may, he may need to use that at some other time, but it was a normal day. They're marrying and giving in marriage. Everything was going on as normal, but he said just just like there were two at the meal, one was taken and the other left behind. There's going to be a real separation. 
And as Malachi here begins to lay this out, he says, that day is coming. God has promised that day is coming. It shall burn as an oven. John the Baptist said something similar. He says that the the Lord's threshing threshing fork is in his hand and he's going to thresh the wheat and he's going to gather the wheat into the garner. Uh, But the husk he's going to put into unquenchable fire. What he's saying there is that there are many in the world today that are living unprepared lives that just like is, I believe it was the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that he said, you can build your life with gold and silver and precious stones, or you can build it with wood, hay, and stubble. I've got a fire pit in my backyard, and I can't tell you how much stuff has been burned up in that fire pit. There's a lot of ashes there, and about the only thing of substance that's left is some of the metal that got caught up in something that I end up throwing out there. And what Malachi is saying here is that there are going to be people that live their lives for things that have no eternal substance. And that day is going to come like an oven and is going to burn up everything. He says, and all the proud, the proud, those who live a life that's contrary to God and His ways. God resists the proud. And he said, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. They're not going to last. They're not going to be able to stand up. Those that were uh, talking and tempting the Lord in the earlier chapter, all of that is going to be over one of these days. He said, they shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts. It shall neither leave them neither root nor branch. What he's saying is that you often can't get to the roots. Today, I realize that one of the roots that I was trying to dig up was not to one of the bushes that I had, but it's just one of the trees that's out beside my uh, house that it had, it had reached all the way into my landscaping. And I didn't realize that. I'd, I thought I'd got, I did get all of the bushes out and all of the roots out, but there were, there were some roots remaining. But I'll tell you here, as Malachi is speaking, he says that there will be a total destruction. Not annihilation of people's souls, but there will be a total destruction that anything that is not built up in the name of the Lord will be torn down. And so we should be sobered. We should be sobered by the day of the Lord. We look at the world and we see so many living ungodly lives. And we think they're, they're living the high life. But actually what Malachi would say is that if you're living a life without the Lord, no matter how many riches, no matter how many vacations, no matter how, how many things that you have, it's nothing. One of these days it's going to be all gone and people are going to wake up and realize, I've wasted my time. I've wasted my talents. And I've gained the whole world. And I've lost my soul. What else does Malachi say? True revival will ensue when we realize the victory that we have in Christ. In verse 2, he says, But unto you that fear my name. Those that fear the Lord. It says, the fear of the Lord is clean. Um, The fear of the Lord is this reverent obedience. Even in the midst of this culture, there were those that reverenced the Lord. And here's the victory that he said was on the horizon. 
He says, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. There's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he was coming on the rise of the day spring from on high was coming down to set the record straight. Actually, the cross is a picture of God making things right. It's a picture of God uh, bringing about his justice in his son and either uh, his justice will be administered on his son or on you. But for those who have feared the Lord and put faith in his son, Jesus Christ, there is a day on the horizon where we are going to experience a total healing. Every injustice that we have ever faced in this life, the Lord is going to bring a healing to us in a totality. Not just uh, just like the destruction of the wicked will be in a totality, both the root and the branch. Our healing will be in totality. Do you realize, I don't know what you've gone through growing up or any injustices that you face, but there's coming a day when God is going to make it right. It says at the end of the book, he says that God himself shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's going to be no more crying or pain or any more trouble or heartache. All of those things are going to be done away with. There's going to be a perfect and complete healing. Just as God, uh, as Jesus was here in the flesh and he healed these people, people who could not hear, he was able to restructure not only their ears, but the, the hearing vessels and everything that went to their brain so that those who couldn't hear, he was able to fix it from the outside to the inside. One of these days, he's going to turn it all inside out and he's going to bring about a perfect healing to our souls. Similar to what Joseph said, and he just got a glimpse of it. His brothers had done him great injustices. But as he got to the end of the story, he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. To save many people alive. And there's coming a day that we're going to be at the end of our story. And not only the end of our story, but at the end of God's story. And we're going to be able to say that all this evil that was done in this world, everything that happened, God was able to turn it for our good and His glory. But that's not all that we have in Christ Jesus. We have healing, but we also have rejoicing. It says that here, the son of righteous shall arise with healing in his wings. He said, you shall go forth and grow up as the calves of the stall. He gives us a picture of the calves that are let out to pasture and these young calves that are just frolicking and, and rejoicing that they have this kind of freedom that they've been let out of the stall. Do you know tonight that we have room for rejoicing? You and I used to live, if we were, if we've been saved by God's grace, we used to live in bondage to sin and the Lord Jesus Christ set us free. And, and because he has set us free, the son shall make you free and you shall be free indeed. Because we are free, there is room to rejoice tonight in the victory that Christ Jesus has brought about for us. The son of righteousness has risen with healing in his wings. And I'll tell you that a picture of that is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have ultimate victory because of what Christ has done for us. We've got healing and we've got victory. But one of these days, he also said, we're going to be trampling. We're going to be trampling over the enemy. 
Just as Jesus Christ, He destroyed death in His death on the cross and in His resurrection, He proved that He disarmed the enemy and put Him to open. He did all those things. Uh, but we see here that He even told them at the end of the book of uh, Romans, I believe, that the Lord, uh, the Satan is already under your feet. But one of these days, we're going to trample over all the evil in this world. Just as it said there in the prophecy of Jesus in Genesis 3.15, he said that the seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the serpent. I tell you, the Lord Jesus, his foot, he put down evil once and for all. And you and I too shall have the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we realize and when we turn to the covenant love of God and realize you and I haven't arrived just yet, have we? But God's love remains on us. And it is His love that draws us to Himself that we might have the right kind of desires to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. When we're sobered by the day of the Lord and we realize that there is coming a day, there is coming a day for this lost world that is unprepared to meet God. Uh, I have children and they have many desires, but, I, but some of those desires, a lot of those desires that, uh, for, for temporary pleasure, they're, they're going to be meaningless. I'm trying to share with you with every fiber in me that the true and ultimate pleasure is to know God, to know His love, to know His justice, to know His mercy, that His mercy, instead of facing that day of the Lord with great terror, God wants to extend His unfathomable mercy toward you, that He wants to withhold from you what you deserve. And that is the best news I've got to give you tonight. True revival also ensue when we realize the victory that we have in Christ. Victory was won at Calvary. Victory that gave me liberty. I'm so grateful for that tonight. We also see here, too, the true revival. And Sue, he said, I want you to remember in verse 4, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgment. When God came down on that holy mount, His voice was so great that the people said, Hey, Moses, will you be the mediator? We, we can't handle it. God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's love is demonstrated through His law. All of those things. God is a holy God, so much so that Jesus would, would interpret the law in this way. Some of them said, well, I haven't murdered anyone. But Jesus took it down. He he made them realize how holy God's law really was. As He said, have you had hatred in your heart toward your brother? Many of them would say that, hey, we haven't committed adultery. But Jesus said, you've heard heard it said. And then then He went on to say that, have you had any lust in your heart? God's law is holy. It's holy and it's good. The psalmist says that um, 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. The law cannot save, but the law exposes and the law reveals our sinfulness. The Apostle Paul said that the law brought about a deep conviction. He said sin was revived and I died. He realized that God was holy and just and good. And this law here, as they close the Old Testament, the law is if they were to walk in this law, they would have all realized. They would have all realized that, Lord, I can't make it without you today. Lord, I can't make it. I need you. As we sang the song, I need you. I need you every single hour. Is that not where God wants us to be? Lord, I need your help. I need your grace. As he closes the Old Testament, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The day was coming. There is a day on the horizon. But I want you to see that as the New Testament begins to open, Jesus said of John the Baptist, if you're willing to handle this, He said, this is Elijah. What was it about Elijah? Elijah's very name meant, my God is Jehovah. And Elijah was a man that lived with a commitment to the living God in a very pagan culture. In a time when God's people were running rapid and turning away from Him and worshiping many idols. And Malachi says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet. And what what is he going to do before that great and dreadful day of the Lord? I believe we've got a couple mountains here that we can see. But it says here in verse 16, I mean verse 6, he said, He shall turn. Look Look at what God is concerned about. True revival will ensue when we return to right relationships. He said, He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers. Do you know what we need in America, what we need here in the church and in America and everywhere else? We need a return. To right relationships. Need a turn to the right kind of marriage. The right kind of home. We need a return to fathers not being self-seeking and selfish. But to have a desire to point their children to the very covenant God as we see in the very beginning of this book. We need to to have homes that point to this God who loves and has loved, that does not change. He says that the heart of the fathers, when Zechariah was told by the angel Gabriel that, that he would have a son, 
he made one of those statements. He said, John the Baptist is going to come and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. God desires all of our hearts. All of our hearts. God desires that our own hearts are a sanctuary unto Him. That you and I individually, this is what is beautiful about the church, but each one of us, our individuals, but collectively we bring, uh, we, we make up the body of believers. But when every one of us, imagine this, when every one of us saying, I realize who Christ is and what He has done for me. And I realize I'm not exactly where I need to be. But Lord, I'm here and I'm surrendered. And I need you. I need to draw near to you. My marriage needs to be more intimate. My family needs to be more aligned with the things of God. Lord, here's my heart. Take me and use me. I don't, I don't deserve it. But Lord, we show mercy. We show mercy to me. These are just a few things that I believe that would mark a true revival. When we begin to see God for who He is, we begin to see that He hasn't changed. That we say, Lord, help me to have a deeper commitment to You and a deeper commitment to my brothers and sisters. I know what it's like to be a pastor and sometimes that is one of those things that I really wrestle with and struggle with that, that I'm there I'm there Sunday morning and oftentimes Wednesday night. And I wonder why? Why? Where's the fire? Where's the desire? Where is the... I I can't wait to get back to the house of the Lord. That, that is when it, that's when we really get back to what revival is all about. That, hey, there's people out here that are lost that are unprepared to meet the living God. And Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation, this salvation that you've given. Maybe I've lost a little bit of the shine in my own life. And I realize this is the first night of this revival, and I realize that you're probably thinking, hey, uh, we, we wanted something a little bit lighter, but I'll tell you, if we really want to draw near to God, we got to say, Lord, here's my heart. Uh, I, I know you love me, Lord. Help me to see myself in light of you. Help me to cry out to you for mercy, and help me to draw closer to you and have a fire and a desire to see somebody else saved. Because if if nobody's concerned about the day of the Lord and nobody's concerned about their loved ones uh, scattered across here in southern Kentucky, then you're not going to invite anybody. You're not going to say, hey, you need to get to the house of the Lord. You need to hear the gospel. You need to be saved. And all that we're going to do is you're going to hear a message after message after message. We may uh, throw up a few songs. We may throw up a few prayers. and, And we'll go home in about 10 days. And we'll leave unchanged. But if we'll realize... That God Himself wants to draw near to us. And we actually 
humble ourselves and draw near to Him. We're willing to do things that we haven't done. Do you know those bushes in my yard have been in, in that, I believe, for 30 years since the house was built? I didn't want to get them up, but I did want to get them up because many of them died in this past winter. And some of those roots had been growing for 30 years. But I'll tell you, when we're willing to say, Lord, maybe there's some ways about my heart that have been in there in a long time. I'll tell you, one of those roots, it was stubborn. I almost fell back. My boys saw me. I was pulling on the root. And I almost fell back into the window of the house. It was tough. It was stubborn. You know, sometimes we as God's people can have some stubborn ways about us. And the Lord wants us to surrender them. Give me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit in me. Because Lord, you are worthy. Worthy is the Lamb of God that was slain to take away my sin. I believe that's all I have tonight. But I pray that God will use it. Even in my fumbling and whatever mistakes I made. God is after our hearts. And I'm so grateful that His love remains when my heart is cold. His is always warm. When I'm cynical... And I wonder, can anything change? As the sister said earlier, is there anything too hard for the Lord? When I'm distant, it's not because of God. It's because I've been like that prodigal that wanted to go about my own ways. But the Lord is standing there all the time says, just come home. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek. Think about God. God's, God's meek. He's meek and lowly of heart. I'll tell you, there's no greater joy than having rest in your soul. Jesus can give you rest. Jesus can satisfy you. Jesus can revive us all. He's so powerful, He can do it all at the same time in this same week. If we say, Lord, here we are. I'll turn it over to Brother Brad if we want to get a song and sing. If you're here tonight and unprepared to meet the Lord... I beg of you, with the tender mercy of God, to seek Him. Try Him. He stands waiting.